He's not just the most famous writer in human history. Out of all 100 billion of us ever to live on this planet, he's one of the most famous people. William Shakespeare died exactly 400 years ago in the same English town where he was born. His contemporary, the playwright Ben Jonson, said he was not of an age, but for all time. Every manner of controversy has attached itself to Shakespeare, from his possibly missing head to whether he even wrote those plays and poems. Ron Rosenbaum is a Shakespeare scholar, the author of the book The Shakespeare Wars, and he's marking this 400th anniversary speaking at the Hammer Museum on Thursday. What's the magic of this bard dead 40 decades, and will it still enthrall us four centuries from now? is it, Mr. Rosenbaum, that 400 years later we still read about him, talk about him, argue about him? It can't just be high school English classes. When I was a reporter for the Village Voice, I had some assignment that took me to England, and I got to Stratford-on-Avon, Shakespeare's birthplace, at just the moment, a great moment in the history of Shakespearean production, when the director, Peter Brook, was putting on his production of Midsummer Night's Dream. And up to then, I had not been a big Shakespearean fan, but I saw this production of Midsummer Night's Dream, and it was like I was lifted off the earth. It was like transformative. I'd say that you really need great actors and great directors, and once you get that, the words will take off and lift you off the page, and, uh, and you'll never be the same. But it's rare when it happens. I think most people go to Shakespearean productions and think, well, Shakespeare, this is going to be great. And then they end up walking out thinking, wait a minute, where's the greatness? Why did I fall asleep in Act 3? I actually feel the best way to experience Shakespeare these days is to listen to audio tapes. For instance, there's uh, John Gielgud's uh, King Lear. How, 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 how? Oh, you were men of stone. Had I your tongues and eyes, I'd use them so that heaven's vault should crack. Or watch Shakespearean films like Laurence Olivier's Richard III uh, or Orson Welles' Chimes at Midnight, because then you get some of the great Shakespearean films figures of the past 400 years and Shakespearean productions that are preserved on film and will not leave you feeling what's the fuss about. The, the plots in a lot of Shakespeare's plays are not new. He pinched them rather um, frankly from other sources and other places. It's the language that made them different. In some ways, you could think of him as a rewrite man. Almost all of his great works, are, uh, there are very few that are entirely uh, his own invention. And it is the language that becomes the attraction. There are just stretches of language. It just knocks you out of your seat. It's so amazing. And that's what he contributed, not really the plot of Henry V, which was supposedly history, or Richard III, which is sort of like... Uh, fictionalized history. And that's why I suggest people see Lawrence Olivier's Richard III, because Olivier's performance, it's so shocking. Olivier's spider-like conception of evil is so deeply disturbing that you understand why 
nothing like this really was uh, seen on stage. Plots have I laid. Inductions dangerous with lies, well steeled with weighty arguments, by drunken prophecies, libels, and dreams, to set my brother Clarence and the king in deadly hate, the one against the other. This was the play that made Shakespeare a star. There's so little known about Shakespeare, which is one of the reasons many people refuse to believe that he actually wrote all of that brilliant work. I think the one canard that continues to survive among the people who are called the anti-Stratfordians, the ones who believe that Shakespeare didn't write Shakespeare, or Shakespeare was written by someone else with the name Shakespeare. They all say, well, he only had a grammar school education. But in fact, at his time, grammar school educations included learning Latin, learning how to compose poetry in Latin, learning how to translate Latin. It was far different from the kind of grammar school we speak of today. And in addition, you know, the people say, well, he sets all his plays in Italy, but he never went to Italy. But there were a vast array of books of contemporary travelogues to Italy or romances set in Italy. Um, you know, he didn't have to really leave the Globe Theater to uh, conjure up Romeo and Juliet's setting. Oftentimes, you will see versions of Shakespeare where the language is watered down or simplified to be easier to understand. It isn't Shakespeare without the Shakespearean language, is it? There's a, another effort to modernize, or as I call it, dumb down Shakespeare going on. And I feel dumbing down the language, a.k.a. modernizing it, is just the most destructive thing. You know, either do it or or not do it. But, you know... Don't try to like, treat the audience like children. Another big controversy in the academic world is whether Shakespeare was a literary artist, whether he uh, designed his plays to be read or put on in the playhouse, or whether he cared about how carefully they were printed, or whether he just, as in uh, that movie Shakespeare in Love, sent them over to the playhouse and went back to wenching. I, I think there's a case to be made that Shakespeare was a careful literary artist and that reading him was something that he hoped people would do. Shakespeare also populated his plays with extraordinary women like Cordelia in King Lear and Lady Macbeth, with ethnic and religious minorities like Othello and Shylock in The Merchant of Venice. I've always felt a Othello is almost unbearably tragic. Uh, I almost can't read it or see it. It's just painful. I feel the same way about Shylock, but with Shylock, there's, a, there's always a movement. Directors like to put on this play because there's a lot of directory stuff they can do with it, and actors like to act it. If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? If we are like you in the rest, we will resemble you in that. But I still feel Shylock has this kind of fundamental anti-Semitic DNA. Not that Shakespeare was uh, an anti-Semite, but that he took a, uh, anti-Semitic tropes, anti-Semitic models. And so I have trouble with that. I, well, I have more I have trouble with people who claim to have that the solution to this is to humanize Shylock, because always, if you're doing Shylock, 
you're going to have a Jew willing to stab a Christian in the heart for money. And there's no getting around that, or you're not doing Merchant of Venice, you're doing some other play. What you say about women is fascinating. I mean, there are all these witty women in the comedies, and then there's Lady Macbeth, who is scary. For a long time, you know, several of those centuries in the, in the last 400 years, there weren't many outspoken, strong, fierce, admirable, witty women in drama. I think that Shakespeare's women provides a kind of panoply of potential models for self-determined women. You know, and then there's the question of, does Shakespeare believe in love? And I think you could see Midsummer Night's Dream. Every time I reread or, or see Midsummer Night's Dream, I can't make up my mind whether he's making fun of the idea of love, uh, that it's just an illusion created by drops in the eyes, or, or whether he believes at the end that there is some genuineness to love. And I think that's one of the great ambiguities. And I don't know if it has to do with, uh, women alone, men and women. Is Shakespeare, in a way, the means by which we can come perhaps closest to understanding what people were thinking, doing, saying, believing in the 16th and 17th centuries? Some of the plays are are set in different centuries. There's very few that are actually set in contemporary London. There are a lot of playwrights who do that, but he tends to take far off places. So it was very dangerous. People don't necessarily realize what a uh, police state Queen Elizabeth was running and how there were spies and torturers and uh, horrible executions for a heresy. And so, uh, yes, uh, I mean, even Hamlet, you know, which uh, focuses on the ghost who comes from purgatory, this was at the very height of the persecution of Catholics who believed in purgatory. So Hamlet's a very dangerous play. I still don't know how he got away with it. Of course, what people can always come back to is the the words, more than 1,700 words that Shakespeare created or put on the page. Lackluster, household words, dawn. We, We could spend our entire time just listing these words. How profoundly have those and the idea of the flexibility of language influenced us. Puns, too. He he not only invented words, but he invented connections between words that sounded alike or meant alike. Um, I, I wouldn't say he introduced punning, but he introduced uh, the idea that words could have varied gradations and connections and links between them. Nobody did it better. How different would our modern Western culture be without this dead white European male and his work? I think there are so many great writers, dramatists, in Western culture and in Eastern culture and in the Southern Hemisphere culture that it's not like people would be impoverished for great writing and drama. You know you know something uh, uh, Peter Brook, the great director of Midsummer Night's Dream, said to me once about Shakespeare. He said, most of us live lives we're about 10% alive. There's some people who are lucky enough to live lives in which they're 100% alive. Shakespeare walked around London living a life 
that was a million percent alive. I get what he was saying, that it was a unique character, and would our culture be different without it? I, I think I think perhaps, anyway, we wouldn't have that kind of northern star, that pole star of genius to gaze at when we thought about the possibilities of literature. Thank you so much. Ron Rosenbaum is the author of the book, The Shakespeare Wars. Thank you. I enjoyed talking to you. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered and edited by Todd G. Levin. The song is the reflections Just Like Romeo and Juliet on the Golden World label. The audio is Laurence Olivier's 1955 movie, Richard III. Al Pacino plays Shylock in the 2004 film The Merchant of Venice, and that's John Gielgud as King Lear in an undated performance. I am Pat Morrison. Our revels now are ended. Thank you.